Yes, the invitation and welcome to Madison Church. And if you're watching online, this is it, the final conclusion of our invitation series. We're happy that you're all here today. And I want to begin today, I get to do this a few times a year. I'm going to begin today with a test. Some of you look petrified, don't worry. Most of you will do just fine with the test. Uh, The very first question, most of you will do just fine. I'm worried about a few of you. But the first question is, what is this? One person got it. It is a chair. Good answer. It kind of makes me worried about this next question that I have to ask, which is, what do we do with this? Sit on it. Yes. I'm, and if you're online, I already know you're much smarter than the people we have in here. No, I'm just kidding. You're all smart. Um, when we see an empty chair, I don't think we see anything at all. I mean, look around you. There are lots of empty black chairs in here right now. I don't think we see anything. I mean, if you're like me, maybe when you walk into the gym of a church, you're looking for like an empty section, a couple seats in between you and the next person so you don't have to talk. Or am I the only one who does that? So maybe that you're like, this is a great time. I have somewhere to put my Coke, got somewhere to put my coffee, got somewhere to put my phone in case you all want to check out later today. I get it. I get it. But an empty chair is so much more than that. An empty chair is a missed opportunity. An empty chair is a missed opportunity, and you're like, oh my gosh, that is the most churchy thing I've ever heard a pastor say in my life, and it's not. I'm going to argue with you that it's not, because um, I just read, I just found out this week that there are people employed by the Oscars, normal people like you and me. If we lived in that area, we could get a job, and what we would do at the Oscars is we would stand in a back room until Meryl Streep gets up to use the restroom, and then we run to her table and sit in her seat until she comes back. And then we run out. And the reason they do this at the Oscars is because they don't want anyone to see an empty seat on the camera that is watching it from home. Because they want that event. That's the event that everybody is at. And an empty seat means somebody didn't show up. And so normal people like you and me, so the Oscars do it for appearances. They see an empty chair as a missed opportunity. It's a bad appearance. Now, Airlines also don't want empty seats, and some of you guys know this, right? Have you ever gotten overbooked? You know, you show up to the airport, and then they call your name and ticket. You're like, sorry, we overbooked this flight. Can we bump you? How is that fair? Well, for airplanes, they intentionally overbook. So that way, when people don't show up, and sometimes people don't show up for some reason or another, they don't want empty seats because an empty seat on an airplane is lost revenue. That's what those, each seat is worth a dollar amount for their business. So they don't want empty seats. Uh, StubHub and Ticketmaster can get you into the big game or the big show if, no, if someone else can't go. Um, because again, an empty seat hurts appearances. It hurts the vibe of the place. It costs money. And why an empty seat is a missed opportunity depends who you ask. If you ask the people at the Oscars, it's about the appearance. If you ask StubHub, it's about not losing money. And if you ask me at Madison Church, an empty chair is a missed opportunity because it is somebody who is not connecting with God. It is somebody who's not connecting with the community. It's somebody who's not here, who really should be here, who could very possibly benefit from being here once they know the true living God who offers them grace, love, and forgiveness. Every time I see an empty chair, I think what could be if we stepped out in that? Everyone wants the chairs to be filled. Now, why am I talking about this? Again, 
it's not a series on chairs. It's a series called The Invitation. And throughout the last couple of weeks, we've been studying about how we can live missionally, how we can make the most of the opportunities with our friends and families, our coworkers, our neighbors. How do we make the most of those opportunities? And we've been talking about, well, first you identify these people and then you invest in the relationship. And today I want to say the final part is that we're going to challenge you to invite someone. And we've been challenging you that kind of the last few weeks that you make the ask. You invite someone in to be part of this community or to check out a weekend at least one time. And I've gotten some pretty cool text messages already. I've gotten some cool Facebook messages of people being like, hey, I've been praying about this. And I actually went up and talked to somebody and it was well received. I haven't had any bad stories yet. Okay. So if if you aren't inviting someone because you're scared, they're going to bite your head off. So far, that's unfounded. Now you might be the first one. If that happens, you can email me and I probably won't say that story on this stage because I want everyone else to feel good about it. But you can tell me, we can cry together. Okay. Um, This is a subject we talk about every single year. We do a three-week series every single year on inviting people. And why do we do that? Well, I think it's just we can never, ever lose sight of the importance and just how imperative it is that our community is constantly reaching out to those far from God. An empty seat, when we look around to our left, right, front, behind us, when we see an empty seat, that is our weekly reminder that we're missing out on someone and someone is missing out on us. I've said it a lot from this stage that I think it's a two-way street. I think that we can be contributor, contributors and consumers. I think that we can give a little and that we can take a little. And every week that we see a chair, we should think we're missing out on something and somebody is missing out on us. That's not to be arrogant, but it's to say, yes, that's true. Things happen when you have a relationship with God. Things happen when you're in relationship with God's people. Uh, and if you think, I'm crazy which is fair for other reasons, but not for today, Jesus actually tells a story about empty chairs. And it's in Luke 14. So if you want to follow me with the Bibles, I will have the words on the screen. It is a bit of a lengthy passage today that I'm going to be reading through. But if you grew up in church or in the Sunday school scene, you might have heard of the parable uh, of the great banquet. And uh, that's when Jesus is talking about this empty chairs or these empty chairs. And Uh, Right before Jesus breaks into this parable, he is at a banquet. He's at a party of a very popular religious leader, and there are all sorts of popular VIPs at this party. And what's beginning to happen is they're jockeying for a good spot at the dinner table. And this, this is what prompts Jesus to tell the most awkward dinner time story ever at any dinner party in the history of the world. But um, I can't really make fun of these guys, these religious leaders, for trying to get a good seat at the table. I don't think you can either, but I'll go first here. Um, About 10 years ago, I would have been psyched to get a ticket to the game. Packers game, Bucks game, it didn't matter. I just would have been psyched. I could have sat anywhere and it would have been fine. I could have sat so far back that I couldn't make out what was actually happening on the court or the field, and I had to watch the big screen TV to watch the game, which... And Green Bay is a commitment because it's usually snowing and cold. So you're watching TV outside, right? But this last year, Judd, one of our trustees and I, we, uh, I have a friend who works in the ticket office, and he got us some third or fourth row seats from the court, at, and we didn't have to pay very much extra for it. It was pretty cheap. And oh my gosh, amazing. Wasn't it amazing? 
I mean, you don't know how good these guys are at basketball until you're feet away from them. You don't know how strong they are and how tall they are and, and how fast they are. All of this, it was just amazing. And now, sitting anywhere else seems outrageous. I'm just like, I don't want to go anymore. I just, I, now that I know what a good seat is like, now that I've experienced that, I got to have a good seat. Now, I know a lot of you aren't sports people. We've talked about that. I've made fun of you a lot for not being more into sports, and, and that's okay. But if you're not into sports, let's look at it in another way. In a few days, uh, a lot of you are going to travel somewhere, or you're going to have people traveling to you for the Thanksgiving holiday, and you're going to carve up that turkey and those mashed potatoes, and it's going to be awesome. And uh, I bet most of you, if not all of you, already know who you don't want to sit by this Thanksgiving. Do you not already know? You have that uncle that is way too into politics and he can just elevate the conversation to the point where everyone is angry. You know, you know the uncle, right? And he is not to be outdone by his wife, the over-religious aunt, right? And so you know, you may not know what a good seat is, but you know what a bad one is. You do not want to sit by either of them. So in that respect, whether you're sitting courtside at a basketball game or away from the uncle, we all know what it's like to get a good seat, and we want the good seat. So we can understand the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, the VIPs at this party, why they're trying to get a good seat. Now, there's one extra thing about the context of this story in that culture was that the head of the table was the most prominent person. So that was like saying, I'm the most popular. This is my house. This is my party. Everyone wants to sit by me. And then the next most important people would sit next to him. And then the next important people. So if you sat all the way at the end, what was that was communicating was that like, you are literally the least important person in the room. So it's just a little bit more high stakes. I mean, yeah, sure. In the basketball games, somebody might be sitting in the nosebleeds because they can't afford a better ticket. But some people are just want to be there. They don't want to spend a lot of money on a ticket. But this was very much saying, you're sitting here at this table. You are less important than me. And, and you're more important than me. But maybe next time, I'll be more important than you. And so that's what's going on when Jesus breaks into this parable. And so I'm going to start reading in verse 16, and you can follow along with me. Uh, I'm reading out of the message, paraphrase, because of how many verses I'm going to read. Okay, so this one's just easier to follow um, for reading large passages. I'll come back and break it down in a different translation later. Jesus followed up, yes, for there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servant to the invited guests saying, come on in, the food is on the table. Then they all began to beg off one after another, making excuses the first one said, I bought a piece of property and need to look it over. Send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen and I really need to check them out. Send my regrets. And yet another said, I just got married and I need to get home to my wife. The servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged and told the servant quickly, get out into the streets and alleys, collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and homeless and wretched you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back, master, I did what you commanded and there's still room. He said, there's still empty seats. The master said, then go to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. 
So let's go back. Uh, people are lobbying for a good position at the dinner table. Jesus then tells this story. And it's the first time in human history that people are hoping the waiter comes out and asks, did anyone save room for dessert? Can you just, you could cut the tension with a knife in this room. Like, awkward, who invited this guy? That is honestly what they're probably wondering. Um, but the fact of the story is, that this is a parable. And the parable is, is that God is throwing a great banquet. And this great banquet is the kingdom of God. And he wants everybody to be there. He is making the invitation to the, the rich, to the poor, to the people out in the country, to the people in the city. He is making the invitation to everyone. And he wants everyone to come in. God wants every seat to be filled because he wants every life to be full. And just as in the story, he begins to invite people. The excuses start to roll in. You know, they already RSVP'd, yes. Yeah, I'll be there. And then he's like, all right, the party started. And all of a sudden, they start coming up with the excuses. The only legitimate excuse would have been if you have kids, little kids, right? Because they're kind of a, they, they kind of suck the fun out of the room anyway. So most people are like, oh, you're not going to make it. That's okay. We'll see you next time. But these other guys, what jokers? I mean, this guy's like, I have to inspect the piece of property I bought. Really? On a Saturday night? Like, who's doing, who's doing property inspections on Saturday night? Well, apparently this guy is. guy says, I bought some oxen I need to try out. You need to try out oxen? I mean, I'm not a farmer, but I don't know what you're doing with the oxen to try them out. And why does it have to be done tonight? The only one I sort of somewhat understand is the guy who just got married. And he said, I need, to eat, I need to get home to my wife. And I'm guessing he wasn't that excited to eat her burnt dinner. I'm guessing he probably had some other things on his mind if he was a newlywed, Right? following with me here. Some of you are, some of you don't. Don't worry about it. The in crowd in this story, the people who first got the invite had all of these excuses, but the host was determined to have a full dinner party. He wanted to fill every single chair around his table. He tells a servant, go out and invite the out crowd, the social outcast, the economic outcast, just all the outcasts. Get as many people as you can in here. And the message was loud and clear. That God's invitation to be part of the banquet, to be part of the kingdom, is to a new kind of community, and everyone is invited. Every single one of you are invited. People all over the world are invited. This is an inclusive community. There's no such thing as an in crowd and an out crowd in the kingdom of God. It's inclusive. We, there are no haves and have nots. We are all children of God. We have what we need. There is no first class, second class, who gets to sit next to Jesus and who is at the end of the table. We are all the same class. Everyone is welcome. And it goes back to this idea that we've been talking about a lot this fall, which is that the kingdom of God is inclusive. God wanted these VIPs to be at the table. He's not saying that if you have a lot or if you're popular or rich or anything that he doesn't want you there or even if you're a religious leader. The parable of the story is that that's the first people he reached out to were the rich and the popular and the religious leaders and that they all had these excuses to not come. And then he says, all right, well, we're gonna keep inviting people until it's full. He says in verse 23, I want my house full. And that is the message for us today. An empty chair is never just an empty chair. It represents an opportunity. The empty chair that you're sitting next to might represent a student at the UW or at MATC. And it might be somebody who just moved to this country who is feeling very lonely and isolated. But if they were sitting in this chair and they had this community around them, we could help with that. We could help make them less 
lonely if they were here. That's what the chair represents. It could be uh, an opportunity for a couple who is struggling with their marriage and needs mentorship and hope and healing in their relationship. It's an opportunity for someone you love to find a new relationship with God and to change the direction of their eternity forever. But if that chair remains empty, those problems are still going to continue on to exist. Someone's still going to be lonely. The marriage is still going to be falling apart. Somebody's eternity will be different. God wants every seat to be filled because he wants every life to be full. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, and if this is your first one, what we would encourage you to do is to ask God, who in my life right now should I make that invitation to? Now, if you have been here the last couple of weeks, I want you to think about that person maybe, perhaps that's been put on your mind or your heart, or, or some of you, I know there was like 10 people that God has just been like overwhelming you with. I want you to think about them and how much they mean to you. And I want to ask, like, did you know that it means more to God that they're here than it does to you? That God wants to see them here more than you want to see them here? That God wants to do something in their life more than you want to see God do something in their life? But the sad part is, is that hundreds of thousands of people have yet to experience what we're talking about. Some of you have known what this is like firsthand. And they might be too busy, and they might not be interested. And our host, God, though, cannot bear the thought of the banquet being wasted. So he sends us, you and me, we are his servants, to go out and to invite people, to bring them in and say, hey, there's an empty chair just for you. And this banquet is literally life-changing. And I want us to take offense we live in a society that's probably over-offended, but I want us to take offense. I want us to be burdened, to feel it, that the empty chairs around us means that there's somebody out there in Madison right now who's hurting and struggling. Think about maybe where you were before you found yourself in one of these black chairs. Think about the state of your life. And that's not to say, wow, we're awesome, but it's to say God is awesome and God does things through his church. Um, Somebody is missing out on the banquet. And then I would ask you or challenge you to make that invitation. Ask God, God, who do you want me to include? God, give me the strength, the courage, the boldness to step out because a simple invitation can change people's lives. And we have seen this happen over and over again at our church. And with that, I'm going to invite Ginger up to the front. Ginger was invited. So Ginger, why don't you tell people about your church background before you move to Madison? I went to a Baptist church in Ohio. I taught in Awanas. I taught in Sunday school, and I also taught in children's church. Awesome. And uh, what brought you to Madison? Because you weren't born here, right? No. I am originally from Ohio. What brought us here was my husband got a job here. He wanted to work on a farm here, and he said that this was a better quality of life. Um, and things just worked out for us to be able to come here. There for a while, we were afraid that we weren't going to be able to move because we couldn't find an apartment to live in. And I really wanted to live in Verona because I had researched it from Ohio, and I was really impressed with the school districts. Yeah. Uh, when did you first hear about Madison Church, and uh, who invited you? I first heard about Madison Church from Tamara. Back there at the computer, um, our children went to the same school. My first year here in uh, Wisconsin was very hard. I really missed my family. 
I was very lonely. The snow and the cold really got to me the first year. What? I remember coming in. Well, in Ohio, we had a house and we had a backyard. So I could just let my dog out. I didn't have to walk him. The first year we lived here, we had no yard. I had to walk Buster on a sidewalk. The sidewalk was icy. Buster decided at that time to pull me. Buster. I fell. I was not a happy camper. <laughs> I went in and I, and I, my husband looks at me and I, I'm yelling at him, okay, if we're going to be here, we need to do something about this because I can't keep falling on the ice. <laughs> that really hurt. And Jeff looks at me like, wasn't my fault. I didn't knock you down. <laughs> uh, what did you think when Tamara first invited you, honestly? Honestly, at first I was kind of excited to start church, but then I was very leery of church. Like I said, I went to a Baptist church in Ohio, and I did a lot of things there. But there was a lot of judgment there. Um, they really believed that women were still the second-class citizens there. We taught in uh, children's church, and when my ex-husband decided to quit church, they basically, with all my service there, just said that they didn't need me anymore either. So I was kind of devastated. And there's a lot more to that story, but I could go on and on. So when she invited me to this church, I was very much afraid of that same thing happening. Am I going to be judged? Because let me tell you what, I am not perfect. If you met my children, you know they're not perfect. They're very cute. They are, yes. But they're not perfect. No comment. <laughs> um, what was it like when you first came to Madison Church and what kept you coming back the first time I came to Madison Church um, Dan and Marie were singing up here and I sit in one of these black chairs and did nothing but cry they were that bad They've no they better. were not that bad <laughs> I realized that I had put a blocker in my heart. And when I heard the music and them singing about God, it touched me. And I knew that I had to start changing my way of life, that I wanted my children to be brought up in church. Now, granted, that first time didn't change me overnight. It still took me a while to get back here. But let me tell you, it took Tamara a year to get me to this church. She invited me every time she saw me. She invited me to the church outings. In fact, I knew a lot of you before I started actually coming to church. Yep. So the one thing I do love about this church is the family connection, especially if you're not from this area and you don't have family here. I think of this church as my family. And I can't tell you how many times that somebody has said the right thing at the right time when I needed to hear it. What would you say to someone who is uh, thinking about inviting someone? We've been talking about this for a few weeks now, and they're like, well, I'm thinking about inviting somebody, um, but they haven't yet. Uh, what would you say to that person to encourage them? I would say to invite them. Sometimes it might take a year, two years, three years to get them into church. 
but you never know what a difference you can make in a person's life until you take that time to actually invite them here. And you know, it's very scary because then they're going to start looking at you. You know, what's your life like? You know, you tell me to come to church, but yet you're not perfect. But it really can make a difference in somebody's life. Is there anything else you want to add? I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy to work with the kids here. I am very thankful for everybody here. I'm especially thankful for my friend Tamara. I don't think I would have made it my first year in Madison without her support and her love for me. And I texted her all the time just telling her how grateful I was for her friendship. So that's the kind of connection that this church is trying to make. Wow. Ginger said that she knew a lot of us before she started coming to the church, which was funny because I knew a lot about you before you came to the church. Um, not in a weird way, but Tamara, who was inviting you, was also coming to a series like this, and Tamara was writing your name down on a prayer card, and we would just pray for Ginger. We'd pray for her girls. We'd pray for Jeff, and uh, Ginger came one Sunday, and she, yeah, you could just tell that, that God was moving, and uh, we continued to pray, and Ginger has gone from somebody who um, needed to be invited once a week for a year to one of our children's leaders. I mean, she's a children's pastor at our church. And so we're just so thankful to have you, your husband, your family here. Um, and thank you for taking an opportunity to come up and, and share that with us. And so um, how many of you have ever had the feeling of like you hear something in a church service, maybe it was here or somewhere else, and you thought, man, I just wish so-and-so was here because they really needed to hear that. I mean, it seems like, I know I speak a lot here, but it seems like every week I always kind of secretly hope, and it's kind of like a pastor problem. Like, oh man, so-and-so really needs to hear this. I hope they're here. And if they're not here, I kind of send them the, po I text them the podcast. Like, hey, just, I, I noticed you were gone next Sunday. Um, but it's, it's those sort of opportunities are the opportunities we need to take. God wants every seat to be filled because he wants every life to be full. That's just the idea of the series, the idea of the day. So I want to just challenge you, leave you with two challenges. The first one is that we all need to take our own seat at the banquet. We live in a world that provides countless reasons to do anything else except be here on Sunday. We do. There's always festivals, parties, Packer games on. It does not matter what. There's no shortage. And some of you guys got to work on Sundays and some of you don't. And, and, and some of you got to sleep because you've worked a lot this week. So I get it. There are so many things going on. But the first challenge for you is to make being here a priority. Make being here a priority. It shouldn't be the thing that you're always rescheduling. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I have a gym membership. A lot of you know I have a gym membership. I've had a gym membership for five years. I've probably gone five times. I donate to Planet Fitness. Not that they're a nonprofit organization, but that is essentially what I am doing. And it isn't a priority to me. I don't need any excuse not to go. I can just not feel like it. And that's good enough to not go for the eighth month in a row. Okay? Now, some of you have been with our church a couple years, and you're like, Stephen, you need to go because you put on a lot of weight in the last year. I hear you. I agree. That's still not motivating me enough to go. I just want you to know that. But what we need to do is we need to guard sacred, sacred time. We need to say Sunday morning, look, God is thinking about you every single moment of every single day, but how often are you thinking about God? 
And it's in this sacred space where we're singing songs about Jesus and we're praying to Jesus and we're talking about Jesus and we're with other people who are thinking about the same thing. It is in this hour that we are all thinking about Jesus. And this needs to be the time that we make sacred in our lives, that we reschedule other things around our church and God and family time. Um, that's not to say you never ever take a family vacation. It's not to say you should never ever miss church. Don't hear me wrong. But I'm saying if you're shooting like 10%, there's room for improvement. And it is okay to take Sundays off and family time and all of that, okay? But the second thing is that after you've taken your seat at the table, God is sending us out to invite others in. I love what theologian N.T. Wright says. He says, it isn't enough that we ourselves are people dragged in from the country lanes to our surprise to enjoy God's party. It's not just enough that you're here. That may be true, but party guests are then expected to become party hosts in their turn. And that is what we're talking about. We're saying there comes a time where you're in the dining room and you're enjoying the meal and it's awesome and you're being fed, but there comes a time when you got to put your apron on and go to the kitchen and wash some dishes. At some point, we move from somebody who's just consuming to somebody who's contributing. That's why we do a membership dinner every quarter, because we absolutely believe that every single person in here has something to contribute. Every single person has something to give, and you might think, I'm the, I, I don't have anything to give. And I'm telling you, you're wrong. I don't have time to get into why you're wrong, but you're wrong. Every person here has something to contribute. I believe that's why you're here, and so it's time to step out. Your first step is to make being here a priority, but your next step, after you've gotten that figured out is how to get involved. Let's end today in this series on this note. This series is not about bigger numbers. It's not about filling up church buildings. We've been very clear about that from the day that we started, that we are a multi-venue small church. We don't want to be a church of 2,000. We'd love to be 10 churches of 70 or 10 churches of 120 but that's always been the vision. It's not about growing something as big and fast as we can so we can get on some list, some magazine, so we can brag to other churches and pastors. It's not what it's about. It's about people far from God finding God, and it's about helping them grow in their relationship with God. God wants every seat to be filled here, not because he's interested in full buildings, but because he's interested in each and every single one of you. He's interested in every single person here. It was in a chair like this. A youth pastor began to teach me about God's grace and love and forgiveness, God's justice, God's mercy. It was in a seat like that that I was sitting when somebody gave a message in which I felt the Holy Spirit call me forward to respond to an altar call, to turn my life toward God. It was in a seat like that I heard a pastor talk about baptism and knew that I needed to be baptized. It was in a seat like that that I met my wife on a Sunday or at the same church that we were at. It was in a seat. I had to get there to the seat to meet my wife. It was in a seat like that I felt like God called me to start a church. And it's in the seats that you're sitting in right now that back in 2012, I have journal entries of praying for you. I moved to Madison in 2014, but I was praying for you in 2012. I don't know what you were doing in 2012, but I was praying for you. Even if today is your first and only Sunday with us, I was praying for you. I prayed to anybody who would ever come through the doors that they would find God in this place, that they would find a loving community in this place, that this would be a life-giving experience for everybody, even if it was just one visit. I prayed for that. I prayed for our future leaders. I prayed for our children here. Megan and I didn't even have kids, but I prayed for all of you. And I'm praying for those people next year 
and the year after, the Gingers, the Briannas, and the Britneys, the people that we reach out to and baptize and bring into the community. I stood, into the, I stood in this room when it was empty. I stand in this room every single Sunday when it's empty, and I pray for all of you. I'm not saying that sitting in this chair is the only way to connect with God, with other people, but it is a way, and it's a great way to help get someone started on this journey. When we gather here on Sundays, let's not look at the empty chairs as just a sweet place to sit, but let's look at it as an opportunity, a person who's not here yet. You guys pray with me.